Hello, my beautiful little cherries. It is me, Danny Janae, here with another episode of the Fig Widow cast um, on a lovely Tuesday. Um, I'm here to talk to you about poetry as usual, about um, the creative process, how people do what they do and how they make what they make, um, et cetera. And I unfortunately don't have a guest today. I said that I was going to come back with a guest, but it didn't work out time-wise. But I think the next episode, I will have a guest. It'll be a very special guest as well. Oh, there's a butterfly outside. Um, Yeah. So let's jump into it. What am I consuming this week? Um, I just finished. It took me two days, which is a shame. but I just finished Ratchet on Netflix and I was very pleased with um, my viewing experience. I also just made a delicious mocktail with um, tart cherry juice, some ginger juice, some lime, and a little bit of rosemary simple syrup. And it's just divine, so good. Thank you to Trader Joe's for your bounties. Um, yeah, so I just finished Ratchet. It was pretty good. Um, I'm a Sarah Paulson stan. I think she is such an incredible actress, and she really acted her ass off in that one. There wasn't a lot of that like Sarah Paulson crying that she does. Um, it was a lot tamer in this Um this um this project of hers, which was nice to see her, you know, turn it back, roll it back a little bit. Um, yeah, and then Cynthia Nixon was also in it, and I thought her performance was very emotional um, and beautiful, um, as well as Sharon Stone, who really like stole it for me. She was like hot, and it's like no secret that Sharon Stone is hot, but. Um, in in this um, in this episode in these episodes, she is just really shining in a way that I had experienced before. I think it's just the the confidence in like seductive powers of an older woman that really get me. Um, that's what I'm all about right now in my life is just like trying to court an older woman, trying to get an older femme to look at me um, and fall for me with her gray hair and her plethora of fur coats. That's what I want right now in my life. And to be stomped on with some heels, I don't know. Um, Yeah, so I really enjoyed Ratched. Um, If you can't tell by that statement I just made, quarantine has been rough. Um, It's getting even rougher. It's been too long of this. I am going a little stir crazy, I think. Um, yeah, so what else have I been consuming? I've been watching a shit ton of Girlfriends, which is on Netflix as well now. Um, I grew up on that show. I loved it when I was a kid, even though I didn't understand a lot of what was being said and, um, a lot of the issues that were being addressed in that show. Now, as an adult, I can come through with like my 
adult lens and like a critical lens and see how things in the 90s were so much different. There's so much 90s and early 2000s. <clears throat> there was so much discussion about like what a black woman is and what a black woman should do. Um, and those things were like, she must be successful if she's single it's uh it's a knock on her character if she's fat it's a knock on her character if she's a lesbian or like queer in any way it's a knock on her character um if she's a single mom or if she works like blue collar job then that's also like you know, there's something inherently wrong with her in those instances. Um, yeah, and it's just like, there are some episodes that are a total bummer, um, but then others that, you know, I can still laugh at and find some uh, entertainment in. Um, I think the actor that plays William Dent is like so fucking funny. I just read an article about him where he talks about struggling to find work after Girlfriends, and that made me so sad because he was like, definitely one of the highlights of that show. Very funny, very um, witty and like quick. Um, yeah, just like such a great character. Um, so I've been watching Girlfriends. Reading wise, I finished and then we'll be reading to you from Anodyne by Kadeja Queen. Um, I believe that's how you say her name. Um, it's It was a really quick read actually. Um, I got through it in a matter of days, um, like I would say three to four days tops. Um, and I had to like space it out so that it was, so that I didn't finish it all in like two days. Um, yeah. And I love this book. I can't wait to read to from it to you. Um, and I also just started um, Beholding by Ross Gay. Um, I didn't get very far into it. Um, but I think Ross Gay is a great poet, so I, I have high hopes for this book. And then I'm rereading uh, Space Struck by Paige Lewis. Um, yeah, they're a really great poet. Uh, I just, there's so much that I'm like amused by and challenged by in this collection of poetry, Space Struck. Um, I'll probably read from some of that too, just cause, just cause, um, yeah. So that's what I've been consuming this week. Um, I'll be back after a quick break with some poems for you. So look forward to that because it's going to be really good. Okay, so we're reading from Anodyne by Kadesha Queen. The first poem I'm going to start with is probably the first poem in the book. It's called, In the Event of an Apocalypse, Be Ready to Die. But do also remember galleries, gardens, herbaria, repositories of beauty, now ruined to find exquisite, untidy, untended loveliness of the forsaken, of dirt studded in mold street treasures that no longer belong to anyone alive, overrunning and overflowing, unkempt monuments to the disappeared. 
chronicled the heroes and mothers, artisans who went to the end of the line, protectors and cowards. Remember when pain was not to be seen or looked at, but institutionalized, invisible, unspoken, transformed but not really transformed, covered up with made up valor or resilience. Some people are not worth saving. No one wants to say, but they say it in judgment. They say it in looking away. They say it in staying safe in a lane created by someone afraid of losing ground. Thinking, I doubt we're much to look at as we swallow what has to hurt until we can sing sharp as blades. Aiming for the sensational as we settle for the ordinary. Avoiding evidence of suffering at all cost and reach clone-like into the ground as aspen roots or slide feet first down a soft slope, wet, cold, but the faith to fall toward the unseen, the bleak of the most memory. Call it elusive, call it the fantasy to end all fantasies, awaiting fatality, blight of both education and habit, warned inert, we could watch ourselves, foolish, lose it all. So every once in a while, I'll like start this thing where my eyes start to water uncontrollably. Um, they like burn and water at the same time. And that's happening right now. So I'm just trying to like read through it and talk through it and it's so difficult. Ooh, okay, I think that's over with. So we'll move on to the next poem. Next poem is something about the way I am made is not made. And it's one of those poems that the title bleeds into the poem. So something about the way I am made is not made to make sense. I stretch my insides across pages until my pain is upside down. Peonies and tulips bloom red and pink from my back, bent like washerwoman's knees, full on shadow, but I could have neon feathers if I wanted, faux apparatus of flight. I could have cultivated in error the bad luck of odd numbers. Spectators claim ancestral innocence, as ever, a suit two sizes too small for escape and inside the coveted dance. I first look down at extraneous steps in shame for all my notes and vices. I still long to stop the false fight from for my humanity in mass, allowed to share a history of anything but suffering. Okay, I'm gonna take a drink because now I have to cough because. Of course, everything's going wrong when I'm just trying to read some goddamn poems. Okay, this next poem is called, I Have a Method of Letting Go. 
asthmatic child in a house full of smokers. I crawled once under toxic clouds to find my mother. I was so brave I almost died. Or desperate I wanted more than breath. I was so small and she could sing anything alive. Almost, she didn't really know, doesn't know now. She is familiar with duty and made me so. I can't live on that loss. In 1977, a bullet turned my brother into dust. His 18 years here, an invisible talisman we hold in our callous living. Sometimes I think my mother smoked to pretend to breathe him in. I just love this poem so much. This one in particular. I think because it has to do with mothers and I'm writing about mothers and I have mommy issues and all that good stuff. Um, but just the act of crawling towards something despite danger, despite um, possible harm is like, it's a, a phenom that I'm very familiar with. Uh, so I think it kind of catches me, this poem. Um, and also the brother stuff too. I have brother issues as well. Um, let's see, what am I gonna read next? Okay, this one is called Antediluvian. Where were you when the truth disappeared or when the truth battered us and we pretended fear fell from the ripped pillow of our sky instead of rising up from the one clear place of us? Where were you when strong men told us to die and blasted us into nothing? Were you downtown to witness the smooth mirage, stagnant in skyscraper shade and neon glower? Did you hop a bus and clutch a cold center rail, the sweat of your palm making you slip as if at sea? Were you at sea in memory, gathered into lyric, your body pretending any era was a safe one? Six persimmons ripen unconsumed. Mayfly wings flash their iridescence in the dark. Nothing works. By swallowing alarm, you scraped what you knew near Plaza Fountains, ultra anonymous. Now an arrowhead sharpens the blood under our flesh. Low to the ground, a sea of tamarisk. You claim millennia led to the false obelisk, led to what severs the head of connection in the time of least. But we only ask that you not kill us. Okay, I think I have three more poems left that I want to read this time. Declination. The truth is, I am lion-hearted, dreaming, no mat for the waking flame. We fell asleep smelling smoke, placed damp towels on all the sills, 
Now the ground is frozen and in the dream, distance evaporates. I say every word held back, bold in touch to lengthening in spirit. The mountains shadow the rust of the cold day, breaking and we hum with energy. Winter keeps us lucky, rested like suns. Are you an eagle yet? Serpents, they say, can't keep lies from breaking their tongues. In the dream, I resist your silence protects me from my own. One touch to eradicate all sense except electric, what you know you control. On day like this, molted gray-blue with threats of yellow, I watercolor color until hunger overtakes. I might write, but the words don't feel brave enough. Do you draw upon waking? Do you first spike a coffee or rinse from your skin with wet heat? I dare not ask. I make, I make messes I delight in. I draw to darken my small hands with charcoal, blow its dust off the paper, use up Shamas after Shamas, deepening shadows, black as lust or ink, sleek minds improvised across the cotton rag. Why can't this work make me not want you drawn over me? A dream in rowdy fragments, impossible. Midwinter, the day thrilled frozen, denatured minute by minute, into a graveyard for night and dreams. I could want you or hate that I want. I heat last night's plate just as light snakes in. I add lemon to the cool water in a faceted glass. Set it down, heavy, ringing the wood. My sister would tell me I need to focus. I do. I am writing this in the creeping dawn strokes. Having made my list and folded the white paper into crude force, I have to manage. Foolish, I know, to try so many times after a spectacular failure, but I refuse to fight the urge to rise from my low camouflage, letting hunger quicken the hunter in me, shattering pretense. I make a show, don't I? Blushed and modest, even as I etch your departing silhouette in gold. The images in that poem are just like so stark. This last, the ending image, even as I etch your departing silhouette in gold, it's just like, oof, goodness. Okay, this next one I'm going to read is called, oh gosh, my eyes are like, ugh, Ecologue for Personae. All the way human, we came to hurt. We came via unpredictable route, via safer lacuna, via habit of wondering what desire settles belief in commitment in silence and self-observation. 
We came to shell the day cold, bone-filled, languageless. We arrived in winter in snow-topped mountain range, spilled adrenaline through the bay window, samaras of white ash. We arrived with varied intensity, as in to make a disturbance. We came when our eyes burned in consent to what we don't know, how to heal yet. We allow for devastation. Discomfort is for the machine's sake, meant to break you or part of you. We are not asking. It feels strange to smile in a fascist era. Grief dammed up, ancient energy held back like certain floods. We have flooded ourselves. We have flooded. Nine hazel trees in a mother's body as a door of no return. A mother's body as a place we've been mapped inside of. A galaxy pointing toward grit and who can feel the possible in their bodies and not break toward it. Any closing action. Okay, this last poem that I'll read is called Double Life. There's a bug in my book. Okay, so this is Double Life. Last night, I split a bottle plus a glass of white, a, a clear Cali sob that first woke me, then put me to sleep. In between bites of poblano soup and spicy slaw on bootleg street tacos, we ran off each random white man who thought he could eat in our silence. With our crass laughter and endless sentences about oppression and work, life and bloodstreams, ours and others, and who did they think could escape now? Collision of fear and brazenness, clapping together in historical play, across the moving planet. Erica says a woman named Chocolata saved her from boss-led persecution. And I say or think something like, her mother had vision and the power in a black woman's name saves us all. Hungover and overworked, this morning I get my tax bill. Doubled my income last year. So, oh, double two. I wish I could pull a row, but I'm only 41.8% white. If only I could just be chased off a bar stool at the Hornet on Broadway after eating a plate of fake nachos and drinking a warm Pilsner. Instead, I fear the end of a chase ending in blood. Mine are someone I love, and I love us all. And so many of my white friends know how to help me ease my way out of a wreck. I show up at the university in bold new professor, leather and tweed, elbow patched and afraid. I'll learn to pontificate too much by default, or tell too much truth, or be much too black to be trusted. I notice one of my white male students leaves a room every time we talk about race. My therapist tells me I should put things like that in the container. 
I made up for what I can't control and do. This job isn't writing at all, and I'm burning too fast, afraid to combust and afraid I won't. For dessert, we split peach cobbler tot with vanilla ice cream. I don't eat dairy, so she spooned it up. I basked in the warm sugar and fruit in surprise of caramel crisscross on the just right crust, remembering my grandmother and the smell of nutmeg and cinnamon in her kitchen, fresh peaches simmering in syrup in an old pot on the gas stove, her fingers pinching quick dough, remembering her permanent frown as the pair of mirrored crescents between her eyes, the map of lines on her forehead as we speak, I am inheriting the furrows earned rightfully by crones. If you do it quickly, Grandma said, you can heal burns without leaving a scar. Smooth your injured skin, then peel a cut. Peel and cut a potato in two. Hold each rinsed half to the flat, to the flay until the potato turns black. Repeat until it looks like nothing ever happened. Uncle Sugar Pie raised her and her sisters in Michigan because white men lynched her father in Alabama and threatened her uncle with death if he didn't leave, too. They took my great-grandfather's store and land and home, and Uncle Sugar Pie was a nice man, but rocked on his front porch with a shotgun if he saw any white man walking in the neighborhood trying to sell any damn thing. What else can we do for protection? I think about that in the ecstasy of sweet peach and irony of death and theft of indigenous land and the violence of language in every space. I enter and think I am losing everything but my mind. I certainly am paying for the trouble. And we split all the liquor so now our whispers mean to get loud. Yes, now you have to listen or move the hell out of the way. So that's all I'm going to read from this collection. Um, next week, I'll probably read some more and also read you something from Beholding Maroske. Um, Not next week, in two weeks. Um, yeah, so I'm going to take another quick break and then I'll be back with our topic for this week. And we're back. And this week we're talking about one of my favorite topics to talk about. Oh my God, I could talk about it all day. Mm. We're going to talk about jealousy, professional jealousy in particular, because I want to talk about this because it's something that I've been experiencing lately and I need to bring myself to the red table and have a talk with me about my behaviors recently. Um What I mean by jealousy is like any feeling that you have or that I might have about another person and what another person has, what another person has accomplished um, and being angry at that person's accomplishment, being coveting about that person's accomplishment, like wanting it for yourself, um, and not wanting it for the both of you, but just wanting it for yourself. Um, and 
any sort of like negative feeling that comes around watching somebody else succeed and do something good with their lives. Um, that's what I mean by jealousy when I'm talking about it. Maybe that's envy. I'm not sure what the exact difference is between the two. Um, but yeah, I want to talk about that today. Um, yeah, something happened in my literary world. Um, I'm not sure if I should say what it is because I, I don't want to, I don't want to get back to this person, but something happened and it was like a really big deal um, for that person and for my like city's literary community. And I immediately was like, oh God, like why, why is everybody else getting accolades and why am I not? Um, like why is everybody else finding it so easy to get their first book out, um, their second book out, and I am struggling to get um, individual poems published, you know? Um, that sort of like avenue of thinking has been on my mind constantly lately. And to be frank, it is one of the worst feelings to not be happy for somebody else. Like, to harbor negative emotions towards someone because they're just doing good in their life is like, it makes me feel so shitty. I'm sure it probably makes you feel not so great too when you experience that. Um, yeah, it's just, it's really hard to deal with and it's really hard to talk about. Which is why I wanted to talk about it. Because people don't want to admit that they're jealous of other people, right? You want to pretend that um, you're this like ultra positive, good vibes only, uh, enlightened sort of person that never has a negative thought about anybody else in their life. That's sort of the attitude that I get from a lot of people um, that have this like enlightened sort of outlook on life. You know, they're like, I don't feel jealousy for other people because I'm happy when other people succeed and I don't feel negative emotions about anything toward anybody because I'm perfect, you know? Um, and I'm not, I'm not that kind of person. I am a pessimist, true to the heart down to my bones, I can find the worst case scenario, the worst, most negative thing in any situation. I, it's like on my radar, I don't even have to search for it. I just, it is, is right there when I'm looking at anything. Um, and I think that is, what I've learned from therapy is that is a defense mechanism. It's a way to protect myself. Um, it's not one that is the most healthy, uh, I would say, but it, it does its job. Um, it has done its job in the past and it does its job now. Um, it's not something that I want to continue doing for the rest of my life though. So that's why I'm in therapy. Um, and I hope you're in therapy too. I think everybody should be in therapy. Um, yeah, I just like, I've been really struggling with jealousy 
um, so I wanted to talk about it and how I deal with it when it comes up for me. Um, the first thing that I do when I'm feeling jealous is I let myself feel that emotion. Um, in this particular situation I was talking about, I like, um, I just sort of sat in it for a little bit and let myself sulk. Cause I, I do have a right to my emotions. I do have a right to my feelings and I want to honor them even if they're not like bright and shiny and beautiful feelings, you know, they're still, they're there for a reason. And I need to like sit with that reason and explore it a little bit. So that's the first thing I do when I'm feeling negative about something, but especially with jealousy. Um, I think for me, my jealousy comes from this, um, this, uh, what is the word I'm looking for? This like core, the seed of like knowing that I'm good at what I do. Like I know that I'm a good writer. I've heard it from other people. I've heard it from respected authors and like poets and fiction writers and everything like that. Um, so I know that I have some modicum of talent. Um, and that jealousy comes from like people not recognizing that talent and watching other people get that recognition. Um, that's the big thing for me is watching other people get recognition for the things that I am also doing and working at. Um, yeah. So um, I sit with that and I think about like, okay, so I'm feeling bad because so-and-so got an award or so-and-so got their first book. Um, that's another thing that happened is somebody that I know like got a book deal um, with seemingly very little effort. Um, and it was in a different genre than the genre that I work in. So, And I know that it's a little bit easier in that genre to get things moving. Um, but it was still like, it felt like a slight still for me. Um, so yeah, I I let myself stew. And you should let yourself stew as well, just because you owe it to yourself. There's, I don't think that this sort of new outlook and attitude that people have on life of like good vibes only, we're on a higher plane, when they go low, we go high. Stuff like that attitude is necessarily any healthier than like acknowledging your um, toxic, you know, harmful emotions. Um, I think that it is just a veil of like putting something, putting like some fine silks over a pile of trash, you know. Because it's still there. It's not going anywhere. You're just making it look pretty to the outside world. Um, and making it look like you're this refined person that's on a higher plane than everybody else. When you're just as human as the rest of us and have these uh, run-ins with human experience and human emotion. Um, yeah. But let me not rag too much on those people. Um, it's just, those are my feelings on 
this sort of culture that we're in right now. Um, yeah, so first dwell in it, sulk, be a big baby, let yourself pout about stuff. Um, and then I get to the core of why I'm pouting, um, which I talked about a little bit earlier. I'm just like, I have this like deep seated fear above, of, um, not being seen and not being appreciated for the thing that like means more than anything in the world to me. Um, like I put so much time and energy into poetry because I love it and I don't want it to not be a part of my life ever. Um, you know, uh, when I wrote this essay, um, Anatomy of a Mango, uh, the series that I wrote, um, and it got a lot of attention, um, Roxanne Gay retweeted it and said some nice things about it. Um, someone approached me and was like, hey, I know that you're a poet, but you should really think about switching genre and like focusing more on your creative nonfiction work. Um, and one, that's like a bold ass thing to say to somebody um, that you don't know at all. That's very, um, very bold is what I'll say. That's a nice way to put it. Um, but then it's also like, would I make more money if I switch genre? For sure. Would I um, probably get more recognition? Probably. Um, would I be happier? Nah. I, I'm in poetry for a reason and it's because poetry so easily lines up with the way that my brain works. Um, like things for me aren't very like, they aren't necessarily always narrative and linear. They're very like um, tied up into different worlds um, and different planes and different modes of being. And I think the poetry allows you to twist a language what allows me to twist a language as like base as the English language and make it into something like more textured. Um, yeah, that's what I like about poetry. It's, it's, it's like giving language that is sort of like base and bare texture. Um, yeah. And so being in that world means a lot to me. Um, I say it all the time and I'm not exaggerating when I say that poetry saved my life. Like if I didn't have that to lean on, if I didn't have that space to like write and talk about what I was going through as I, you know, made my way through childhood, adolescence, um, I would not be here for sure. Um, I would not be talking to you beautiful people at all. Um, yeah. So having something that's so deeply personal to me and that holds that much weight and then putting it out into the world and having it be rejected or having it not be acknowledged hurts. Like, and I don't think it's, um, I don't think it's shameful to say that it hurts. I think that as poets or people that are creative, we're supposed to be like, my work is not me. We're separate entities. We don't, 
mix or mash or like blend in any areas. Um, and so that makes us like more seasoned and more ready for criticism. But for me, there will always be a part of my work that is me. Um, I'm a confessional poet. I write a lot about my life. Um, so there's there are ways where I can like take a poem out and separate it from myself. And there are ways where we're still touching, um, where there's still contact between us. And sometimes I get hurt in that, in that sort of making, making in that way. There is some pain and there is some, um, Yeah, there's just like some pain in there as well. Uh, but I don't think that it makes my work any less important or any less um, valid than someone who say only writes about uh, the greater society and like academia or about social issues, you know, that poetry that speaks to wider issues than the self is like poetry that I can read and I admire reading, but it's not something that I write in myself. Um, yeah. So yeah, what do we, what am I talking about? Okay. So first do you gotta, you gotta revel in a little bit. You gotta mope and soap and dope around a little bit. Then you have to dig deep and find out why you're moping so much. Um, like what is what is the root? What is the cause? What is the seed that is that this person, this person that you're jealous of, this thing that you're jealous of, has so successfully needled at? Um, and then what I do is like, and I heard this from somebody else um, in a different context, but like. Um, jealousy and feelings like that are like valid and should be felt, but they also can be redirected. Um, when you're feeling jealous of someone who has done something that you want to do, to ask yourself, okay, so what do I need to do to achieve that as well? What do I need to do to get that? too. Um, and in that way, you're like redirecting this like emotion, this feeling into like active work that you can do instead of moping um, or along with moping. Um, yeah, you're turning it into action, which is really important when we deal with um, emotions that aren't necessarily as like positive as the ones that we want to be feeling all the time. Um, and then uh, in another context, someone also told me this really beautiful thing about like, um, I was talking about revenge and wanting revenge on someone um, and this person said, you know, the person that is 
um, arousing such intense feelings in you as a person is only doing that because they've broken your heart. Um, and there's a part of you that has, there's part of you that is like brokenhearted, um, doesn't want to feel that brokenheartedness and instead is like um, using revenge as a way to like redirect that emotion. Um, and I think the same can be said for jealousy of like, um, using myself as an example again, speaking from my own experience, there's something heartbreaking about not being recognized and not being like celebrated as much as I think I should be. Um, and not being um, supported is a big one. Like not having the support of people um, around me is big for me as well. Um, there's a part of that that breaks my heart a little bit. And instead of facing that heartbrokenness, I jump straight to jealousy and into like glowering and like seething over somebody else's successes. Um, yeah. So those two things in mind, um, I have to think about like what I can do with what I'm feeling. And what I can do is always just go back to the page, go back to the, to the um, whatever medium you work for. So go back to the clay, go back to the, what is that thing called? The artist paint on? The canvas, go back to the canvas. Um, go back to the wall, go back to, um, whatever it is that you're working with, go back to your body um, and figure out a way to turn that emotion into action. You can even write about your your jealous feelings, the things that you're feeling right at that moment. You can write about those things as well um, and use that as a means or medium to divorce yourself from this intense anger and frustration that you're feeling. Um, for me, jealousy is very tied up in anger as well. Um, I get angry very easily. Um, well, that anger doesn't really turn into anything outwardly until it's like been so compounded that I need to like just burst and explode. Um, I'm that kind of person. So fun fact about me. Um, yeah. So those three things are what I do when I'm feeling jealous. Um, the last thing I'd say is just to like admit it um, to someone else. Admit it to someone else that you're feeling. It doesn't have to be the person that you're feeling jealous of. It could be a mutual friend, it could be someone that doesn't know that person at all. Um, just like talk about it to somebody. It always helps. Cause then you can like ask them how they dealt with it if they've ever felt it. Like, what do you do when you're feeling jealous? What do you do when you're feeling like the people around you don't support you enough or that your work isn't getting the accolades that it should be. Like, what is what is your solution to that um, feeling, to that problem? And you can work together 
and maybe even like decide that you two together want to be a support system for each other and come together like once a week, once every two weeks and like champion each other's work and support each other's work and like help each other do the whole submission thing. So like right now I'm sending poems out from a manuscript um, to different publications. I've gotten a couple of substances. I got a lot of denials, a lot of rejections, um, but yeah. I think that it's so much easier to think about the rejections and to covet the things that other people have. I'm using the word covet a lot in my poems, so I'm using it a lot as well in my like normal language as well. Um, to like covet what other people have, it's easier to do that and to like dwell in your feelings of jealousy than it is to like step outside of that and make something and um, think about the things that you have that you have accomplished outside of this person and their accomplishment. It's always about comparing and contrasting. Um, for me, I'll say is like this person has this. Well, I don't have this. Like this person has this box checked. I don't have that box checked. Um, instead of just looking at the boxes that I do have checked and saying, you know, I've accomplished a lot. That's really cool. Um, that comparison is a bitch and can really fuck up your shit. Um, so yeah, uh, find someone that you can talk to about your feelings and possibly work with that person to redirect those emotions into something where you both are gaining some sort of, um, you're, where you're treating each other as peers and not as, um, nemeses, nemesises, whatever the word is. I think it's nemeses. Um, yeah. So yeah, I, um, this person followed me on Twitter, um, not too long ago. I don't know how they found me. Um, but when I saw it, I was like, ugh, like, what do you want from me? Why don't you go live your perfect little life in your perfect apartment and with your perfect face and hair and ugh. And I was just like so pissed off that they had the audacity to follow me when they had just, you know, accomplished this great thing. And then I took a couple of days to like sit in that shit. And I came out and was like, you know what? I'll just follow them back. And it's been like interesting to see the ways where I'm like growing in that. And then the ways that I'm still not growing. Like if I see a tweet that's funny, I'll be like, ha ha ha. And then like it. Or if I see a tweet that, um, that is just like a tweet, you know, I'll compare it to one of mine and be like, well, mine got more likes and mine got more retweets, you know? Um, and that sort of shit also happens. So I don't mean to talk like I'm perfect and that I have solved the problem of jealousy and that um, I've come out on the other side of this like enlightened and better than everybody else. Cause I definitely have not. 
Um, I still struggle every single day with it. Um, but I've just found ways to uh, deal with it so that it isn't all consuming for me. And I think that's all I have to say about jealousy for right now. Um, I need to drink some water and then come back with the untoppable bops for this week. Okay, I'm back here with the untoppable bops for the week. Um, I got a couple because I didn't have an episode uh, a couple weeks ago. Um, I just got caught up doing other stuff. Um, so the untoppable bop for this week comes from, I think, someone that we had on the list before. Um, if not, then the song deserves to be on the untoppable bops. Uh, but it is a um, little song called um, Stuck by Duran Bernard and Ari Lennox. Um, so Duran just released an album last month called Duran. It is D-U-R and then the ampersand. Um, and the song with Ari Lennox is about love um, and like, Lyrics are, don't get stuck in love with me. Um, So about not wanting someone to fall in love with you and that whole thing, but also sort of like that feeling of like, you know, someone's going to fall in love with you because you're so awesome. And you're just like teasingly very like, don't fall in love with me, you know? Um, I've done that before. Um, It feels good when you know someone's going to be like so into you and like, falling for you and you can be like so above it and aloof excuse me i'm trying to record a podcast sorry hold on a second okay sorry i was humming a song um before we were so rudely interrupted by a car horn um i was talking about duran bernard um in this new song it's really good the vocals on it are as a vocalist, he is like probably one of my favorites. There's a song that used to be on Tumblr of his called Red Rover that, oh my God, that vocal performance was like nothing I've ever heard before in my life. It's just so good. Um, and the other song that I, I think I had it as an on top of a bot before um, was called uh, Free Fall with him and Katrinata. Baytronada, as I like to call him. Um, and they collabed on this new project together as well um, on a song called, let's see, Volume, which is really good as well. I would like that song. But I really like Stuck and I like Company. Curiosity is also good. Um, what else is on there? Yeah, there are a lot of really good songs on this little um, project. Not this little project. I don't mean it sound rude like that. But this project is really cool. Um, very into it. Um, so what else have I been listening to? Oh, I was um, on a podcast called What the Femme. 
podcast with um, Maria DeMint and Birdie Holly, um, two burlesque performers. And we talked about what it means for us to be femme. We talked about writing and creating and our different mediums and stuff like that and just the creative process. It was really fun. Um, and on that podcast, I got to choose my intro music and I chose a little song by my friend, um, Brittany Chantel, um, off her project called um, A Fire on Venus. Um, what song did I choose? Fade in the Balance was a song that I chose. That's also the Impotable Ball for the Week because that's just a great song. Brittany is working on some new music that I'm so excited to listen to. Um, yeah, it's just going to be so good. Uh, so Fade in the Balance is also an Impotable Ball for this week. Um, yeah, so that's all I have for you this week. Um, tune in in two weeks for my next episode with my guest, Um it might actually come out before two weeks, uh, just because I feel like um, we need to release it before two weeks. So we will see, and I will see you soon enough, um, regardless of when this project comes out with this guest of mine, there will be an episode in two weeks. Um, this will just be, this guest episode will just be like an intermediate between the two of those. Um, yeah. So thank you for listening as always. Thanks for your patience and your ears and your love. I appreciate it. Um, I hope you have a great one. Peace. Thank you from the bottom of my cold little heart for listening to this episode and for all the episodes before. It's so greatly appreciated. If you like what I do, you can follow me on Instagram at bellbivdaho. That's bell.biv.daho, D-A-H-O-E. You can follow me on Twitter at figwidow. You can read the stuff that I write at autostrato at autostrato.com and just search Danny Janae. You can find me on Facebook, if you're still on there, at Danny Janae Poet. Um, yeah, you can follow me on all those things and keep your eyes peeled about things that I'll be talking about in the future. But until then, my dear friends, save spiders and eat fruits. <laughs>